good morning to you this first Sunday of 2008. Uh, Happy New Year. You know, New Year brings with it always, of course, the New Year's resolutions, which probably many of you have broken by now. That's why I didn't make any. I have none to break. But it's, you know, New Year's, they're a time for new beginnings, fresh starts, renewed hope. But I'm going to start you off on a bit of a down note. Because lately, I've been thinking a lot about death. Now, that's, death is not something we like to talk a lot about. Uh, it's something we don't like to think about. And I'm aware that some of you are experiencing the grief of having lost a loved one. Maybe in 2007, so just this past year. Maybe the continual uh, grief from the last 5 or 10 or 20 plus years. And then there are those of us that have experienced other types of death. Maybe the death of a dream, a relationship, an ability, an opportunity, or some other type of loss. Death is a harsh reality. No doubt about it. Death is a harsh reality. But death is not the only reality. Life, the antithesis of death, is also a reality. In fact, the greater reality. But the brokenness, the pain and suffering around us so often becomes so overwhelming that we end up looking at death more than we look at life. And so as we begin a new year, I hope the up note is, I want us to consider the question, what determines our take on reality? What determines our take on reality? And so this morning, I want us to consider the reality beyond reality, the greater reality of life. And so to do that, we're going to take a look at John chapter 11, verses 17 to 44, to help us get a better grip on reality. It's found on page 897 of your pew Bible, if you want to follow along, 897. But first... Why John 11, the raising of Lazarus? Well, today is the Sunday of Epiphany. January 6th is the day of Epiphany. It happens that the day of Epiphany and the Sunday of Epiphany coincide this year. And Epiphany means appearance. It comes from the Greek word meaning to show forth, to display, to appear. And the Sunday of Epiphany is a day to celebrate the divine manifestation of God's glory in the incarnation, the redemptive activity in Jesus. Now, again, we haven't forgotten our series in the book of Acts. If you are with us a couple weeks ago, the Sunday before Christmas, we were in the book of Isaiah, looking at the prophecy that was foretelling uh, the coming of the Christ child. And then last Sunday, uh, having celebrated Christmas, we took a look at, at the the core of what Christmas is about, the incarnation, God becoming man. And we talked about the purpose of the incarnation, and the purpose of the incarnation being that we might behold God's glory. And we defined God's glory as the visible manifestation of God's redemptive activity in Jesus. The visible manifestation of God's redemptive activity in Jesus something that we need to ask to see, and something that we also see with the eyes of faith. Now, the very reason 
that God reveals His glory to us. The reason that He makes Himself known, as we're going to see in John 11, is that we might believe in Him. So today, the Sunday of Epiphany, be prepared to see an appearance of God's glory. That we might believe in Him. That we might trust Him more fully. So let's take a moment and pray that that would happen for us. Gracious God, we, we thank you for your glory. And we ask that we would behold it this morning in and through your word. That we might believe in you more and more and more. And so we need you. We need you to open your word to us and us to your word. And we ask that you would do this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So as we enter our story, some background. Uh, A man named Lazarus is sick and dying. He's the brother of Mary and Martha and a friend of Jesus. Word comes to Jesus about his friend's illness. But Jesus does not go to him immediately. Instead, Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. It is for the glory of God. Well, eventually Lazarus dies, and then Jesus goes to be with his family. And if you know the story, you remember how it ends. It ends with Jesus raising Lazarus from the grave. But first, this is what happens, beginning in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, said to them, unbind him and let him go. Well, the Bible is clear. Reality is found in Christ. And the Gospels tell us that true life comes from belief in the giver of life, namely, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, death is a harsh reality, the ultimate consequence of our sin. But life is the greater reality, the ultimate purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. And though death is the reality to which we are often tempted to surrender, life, the greater reality, is what we should embrace instead. But how? In the midst of all that is around us and the brokenness and the fallenness that we experience, how? How do we embrace the greater reality of life? The answer, though not easy, is simple. We believe that we might believe in and trust in Jesus is the very reason that John wrote this account of Jesus' life and ministry. In his gospel, John describes a series of seven signs or miracles pointing to the glory of God. The raising of Lazarus is the seventh and most significant or significant miracle in the series preparing us for the ultimate sign, God's glory revealed in a crucified Messiah risen from the grave. Now again, God's glory is the visible manifestation of God's redemptive activity in Jesus. And God reveals His glory to us that we might believe in Him, that we might trust Him. Well, as we walk through our passage this morning, I want us to explore three movements of the story. Jesus' claim to be the resurrection and the life, Jesus' connection with our human condition, and Jesus' confirmation of his power over sin and death. So I've made it easy for you. Three C's. Pastors love that. Jesus' claim, Jesus' connection, and Jesus' confirmation. So let's start with Jesus' claim to be the resurrection and the life. Verses 17 to 27. We are immediately drawn to the heart of the conversation between Jesus and Martha. Picking back up in verse 23. Jesus says to Martha, 
your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Well, like most Jews of her day, Martha believed in a general resurrection, that God would not abandon his people at the end of the time, but rather he would raise them up to celebrate with him and to be a part of his new kingdom, a kingdom that was to come. Well, Jesus proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, the last day has come. I am God and I am establishing my kingdom. Believe in me and you will be a part of my kingdom. And today, you will see proof of this reality. Again, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Well, in science, the study of physical, natural life is known as biology. It comes from the Greek word, or related to the Greek word, bios, meaning physical, natural life. Jesus does not use the word bios here. He does not say, I am the resurrection and the bios. Jesus uses a much deeper, much more profound word here. If you were here last Sunday in the second service, uh, when we baptized little uh, Zoe Olivia Mays. I talked a little bit about her name, Zoe, because it comes from the Greek word zoe. This is the much more profound word that Jesus uses here. It means supernatural life, abundant life, whole life that incorporates all of you, physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological, relational, Jesus proclaims, I am the resurrection and the zoe. I am ultimate life. So in a sense, Jesus is saying in this passage, I am going to take on the sin of the world. I am going to absorb the wrath that sin demands. I am going to die in your place. Yet I am going to conquer death. Because I am Zoe, I am greater than death. And if you believe in me and trust me with your life, then you will know the greater reality of Zoe. And today, you will see proof of this reality. God's kingdom has come and is coming in fullness. Do you believe this? Do you continue to believe this? Are you trusting Jesus today? Well, we've just looked at Jesus' claim to be the resurrection and the life. Now let's consider Jesus' connection with our human condition. Verses 28 to 37. In verse 32, Mary uses the exact words of Martha. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. So what's going on? Well, I remember a couple of years ago when I was having one of those 
wrestle with God in life kind of moments. I have those, and this was a particular intense moment for me. And so I called out to the Lord, and I asked Him to reveal Himself, to give me perspective, because I just wasn't seeing things well. And then I turned on my TV. Now, I know, usually the two are mutually exclusive. You don't go pray to God, and then you start, as men do, just quickly moving around with the channel changer. Well, I landed on Oprah. Now, I realize at this point that with some of you, I have just lost a ton of credibility. (laughs) Others of you, though, I think I may have gained a bit of credibility. But regardless of where I am, with the credibility factor at this moment, uh, hear me out. Because the reason that I stopped there is I was immediately arrested by the story of her first guest. Her first guest was a young man about my age with Tourette's syndrome. Now, if you're familiar with Tourette's, you know it's a neurological disorder characterized by tics, spasms, often loss of verbal control. And I watched as they told the heartbreaking story of Jeff Matavik. Now, when Jeff was born, he seemed to be healthy, played with his friends, but about three years old, when he was, during his third year, his parents started to notice these tics, and they wouldn't go away. So they took him to the doctor. He was diagnosed with Tourette's. Now, it didn't seem to be a big deal at first, but it got worse as Jeff got older, and the simple tics turned into more violent spasms. But there was medication, and the medication helped him, began to control uh, the way that he could not control his motor skills. But as you know, our bodies build up immunity to medication. And so as Jeff got older and older, and see, he was hoping he would outgrow this because some People do outgrow Tourette's. He was not outgrowing it. It was getting worse. The violence within his body overcame the medication. And by the time he was in his late 20s to early 30s, medicine didn't help at all. He had no hope. His his body would convulse so much, so violently, that when he walked down a hall, He would violently convulse to the right and to the left and hit what was ever in the hallway. This was my peer having to drink from a sippy cup because he could not hold a glass of water because he may crush the glass in his hand or if he actually held on to it that time, by the time he got it to his mouth, the water might be flung everywhere. And I remember hearing Jeff say, I I no longer wanted to live. They interviewed his father. His father felt helpless. Talked about embracing his son in the midst of these violent convulsions and being able to do nothing. He was helpless. And he admitted that he was angry with God. And I remember at that moment saying, yes, yes, God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of this? And like some of the Jews, I was saying, he healed the blind man. Why can't he heal this man? Where is he in the life of Jeff Matavik? God is not good. God doesn't care. God is far off. God, the antagonist. Jeff, the victim. And I turned the TV off for a moment. And I realized I had lost sight of the gospel. And then the words came to me. Jesus wept. 
Jesus wept. And I remembered that God is not at a distance. That through Jesus Christ, God has revealed himself as a personal God in human flesh who identifies with us, who connects with the pain and suffering of our human condition. I remember that we are not alone. And I hope that you will hear that this morning, that you are not alone. Know that by God's Spirit, Jesus is present with you now. He identifies with our pain and sorrow. Truly, He is Emmanuel, God with us. Well, not only does Jesus weep in this passage, but He also gets ticked off. Did you notice that? Did you see that? Verse 33, and then again in verse 38. It says, Jesus was deeply moved. It says that twice. Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And as you know, a lot gets lost in translation. Sometimes, not all the time. But in this particular case, this is a hard thing for us to get in our English Bibles. Because what's, what is at the heart of it is anger, rage. Jesus is angry. He is deeply moved. He is angry at death for taking his, the life of his friend Lazarus. Jesus is angry at the death of Jeff's abilities. He is angry at the death of your family member or friend. He is angry at the death of our hopes, our dreams, our opportunities, our abilities, our relationships, because it's not supposed to be this way. We were not created for death. And Jesus does something about it. Jesus approaches the tomb, in the words of Calvin, as a champion who prepares for conflict. He then shows death and us that there is a greater reality, a reality beyond reality, the greater reality of life. Well, we've just considered Jesus' claim to be the resurrection and the life. We've also looked at his connection with our brokenness and our, our human condition as it is now. Finally, let's look at Jesus' confirmation of his power over sin and death. Verses 38 to 44. In righteous anger toward death, Jesus tells the people to open the tomb. Now Martha is having trouble trusting Jesus. No, 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 she objects because she thinks she knows what is on the other side within that tomb. And it's going to reek because her brother has been dead for four days. But whereas death is about decomposition, Jesus, the giver of life, is about recomposition. Renewal of the whole person. All that you are body and soul being brought into harmony. And he reminds Martha in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
The primary reason for this miracle is that we might believe in Jesus. That we might believe that he was sent by God. That in fact he is God, the giver of life. Jesus then calls Lazarus by name out of the grave and Lazarus comes out. The word of God speaks, the dead receive life, and we beheld his glory. Well, back to Jeff Matavik, the young man with Tourette's. I did turn back on the TV, and I'm glad that I did, because I discovered that he was treated just a couple of years ago in Cleveland with what's known as deep brain stimulation surgery, DBS. The first time this procedure was ever performed was on Jeff Matavik. So the risk was high. No one knew how it would turn out. Jeff didn't know if he would ever wake up from the surgery. And I watched the video footage of the medical process as the doctors uh, drilled into his skull and took electrodes, put one on the right side of his brain, one on the left side, then connected them to wires, ran them down the back of his neck, behind his ear, into the front of his chest cavity, where they then inserted two pacemakers. There's two surgeries. It took some time for you know, just the basic surgery recovery. Then the doctors helped Jeff into a chair when he was awake, and they began to ask him to try some simple exercises like they often did. And Jeff could do none of them. Still violently convulsing, unable to speak clearly. And then the doctors activated those pacemakers. And immediately, Jeff gained control of his body. He was able to speak clearly. He was at peace. He got up and he walked down the hall holding a glass of water. And it was amazing. The doctors were shocked. They didn't know what to expect. Jeff, of course, was joyful. I was amazed. And I remember the video footage ended. And then out onto that stage, with his head held high, came walking this young 30-something in a suit, smiling, greeting people, and it was Jeff Matavik. Now, I realize that not everyone gets healed this side of our full redemption, like Jeff Matavik. I realize that. In fact, this may be a frustrating part of the story for you. Because this text and this story raise questions that I'm not able to answer, that you're not able to answer. But what I can do is I can point to the one who has the answers, who in fact is the answer, Jesus. You see, Jesus is coming again. Last week I talked about Christmas is not over. Well, guess what? The Advent season is not over either, friends, because we are still actively and patiently anticipating Jesus. Jesus' arrival, just like Mary and Martha were hoping that Jesus would come to them. We know that Jesus is coming back and bringing with him a complete and total healing, including a bodily resurrection, just like Jesus, for those who trust in him. By God's Spirit, right now, we know his presence. We know his grace. 
But when He comes again, He is bringing a future grace that is beyond our wildest dreams. And the reason that I told you about Jeff's restoration is that Jeff's restoration is just a glimpse of the fullness of the kingdom of God. Just a glimpse. Because in Christ, one day, we will fully be restored beyond our wildest imaginations. Well, Jesus claims to be the resurrection and the life. Jesus connects with us in our human condition. And Jesus confirms His power over sin and death. Well, there's a fourth C here. Call. Jesus calls each of us. By name, yes, one day Jesus will call those in Christ out of the grave into a bodily resurrection, just like Him. But even now, Jesus calls each of us by name out of the grave, out of those places of death and dying that are crippling us, out of those places of fear. He is calling us by name, calling us to trust Him with our lives, calling us to continue in faith with Him on this journey of renewal, or maybe for you, calling you to start this journey of faith and renewal with Him, a journey that will one day be completed in Christ. And so as we begin a new year, how is Jesus calling you out of the grave? How is He calling you to trust Him anew? And you know what? This isn't just for something for you to think about on your own, because there's more good news here. We get to do it together. He is not calling us to live the life of faith solo, as individuals, by ourselves, alone. I want you to notice the last words that Jesus speaks in this passage. Verse 44. The last words He speaks are not, Lazarus, come out. Those are the most powerful words. But He then turns to the people and says, unbind Him and let Him go. So I guess we have a fifth C. Community. Jesus calls the community to participate in His redemptive activity. And guess what? Jesus calls each of us as a community together to participate in His glory. To show and tell the gospel. To show and tell the gospel in the lives of each other sitting here, but also beyond these walls. To show and tell the gospel throughout Williamsburg and the surrounding area, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our places of work, play, and school. How is God calling you into His glory? How is Jesus calling you to trust Him? And I'm going to add a couple of questions. After the first service, I was talking with someone and she added these questions, and I thought they were great. What grave clothes do you need taken off? What grave clothes can you help others take off? How is Jesus calling you to trust Him? Hear the Word of God and come out of the grave in the joy of faith 
and trust in him. In Jesus' name, amen.